Hey everyone, today I talked to Soraya from Ring It O oh Ring It. She is based in Malaysia. That's where I was living for about five months this year. And I followed her personal finance blog for quite a long time because I wanted to learn about the personal finance world in Malaysia. And I had to interview her, of course. So today we talk a bit about the Malaysian personal finance scene, her personal story to becoming a writer, and her aspirations for the future. So personally, I really enjoyed this episode, really fascinating, and I hope you do too. Welcome to the Financial Independence Europe podcast, where we interview people from all 44 European countries, all of them, about optimizing your life, geo-arbitrage, and making the most of your money. This was your host, Alvar, Arminta, and Matias. Hello, everyone. This is a long time coming episode. I am finally interviewing someone in Kuala Lumpur. This is very exciting, although I'm not in Kuala Lumpur myself, which is a bit awkward, but anyway. I'm very excited to be interviewing Soraya from Ring It or Ring It, a personal finance blog based in Malaysia and where Soraya documents her personal finance journey a little bit like the personal finance blogs we have here in Europe. So welcome to the show, Soraya. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. So very exciting. Can you give us a little bit of a background as to uh, who you are and what is it that you do? I am a personal finance blogger, as you know. I'm the founder of ringitorringit.com. Uh, it's been going on for about four years now, more or less. Cool. I am a speaker. I'm a writer slash copywriter. Mm. I'm the curator of uh, a book series called Money Stories from Malaysians. And uh, volume one is in bookstores right now in Malaysia. It's in, uh, if you ever come back to Malaysia, it's also at the airport. So nice. find, one, find a copy there. <laughs> yeah, definitely. We'll do that. Okay, so you do a lot of different things, uh, as we were saying before, a kind of solopreneur. And today I kind of wanted to dig deep into what your personal story is and how you went from, you know, maybe someone who's just a little interested in, you know, how to manage their money to a full-time entrepreneur or full-time self-employed. But before getting into that, just to give a bit of a background of Malaysia for those who don't really, for our listeners who are mostly European, what is the personal finance scene like in Malaysia and what is it that people really struggle with most, you'd say? In Malaysia right now, well, there's a lot of there's a lot of problem with the salary not increasing. So a lot of people this is not a not an isolated problem, right? So mm-hmm. yeah. income stagnation has been an issue worldwide because of what inequality, la di da. Um, but it's been going on in Malaysia for quite a while now, um, due to uh, you know various reasons, including a big sector of um, migrant workers and other things we won't get into. But basically, a lot of wealth inequality is a thing here. So the rich mm-hmm. are really rich and the poor are really poor. And then you add on a layer of um, racial, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, a layer of like racial mix into it. And sometimes tensions can get a little bit high. So income stagnation is a thing. That's one. At the same time, there's also this, I think that everyone has an opinion about education system, not just here, you know, worldwide as well. But our education system 
is very much um, there needs to be more critical thinking included in our syllabus. I think that there was not enough. So there's been a lot of, um, you know, like personal finance is a combination of macroeconomics, right? But it's also um, self-determination, like how much do you want to get yourself out of this bad situation? It's, it's that kind of mindset, right? So our macroeconomics can be better, but at the same time, I feel that a lot of Malaysians find it hard to get out of, uh, to get into the mindset of like, ah, uh, you know, to get out of the victim mentality. And it really depends on who you ask about this issue. But I mentioned the, the racial thing, and it is true that, that some groups of the population do have this mentality where the government, they, they, they find that uh, they expect government handouts and things like that. And they get very, very angry when government decided to, um, to reduce those kind of help. Yes, that's really interesting, actually. And that's the first thing that hit me when I arrived in uh, Malaysia. And actually, a bit for context, I was living in Malaysia from about June to September, so about five months. Uh, mm. And I was working there as a freelancer. I also was uh, quite stricken by the really diverse population. So mainly, from what I understand, you have uh, Chinese Malaysians, you have Indian Malaysians, and then Malays. This is, and then some other immigrants. And I loved it, obviously, this diversity, because it, it, you had so much, you have so much different kinds of food and cultures and everything and languages. And it's beautiful. It's, it's really amazing, which is why I loved Kuala Lumpur so much. And it's interesting what you say that people who come and live in Malaysia and, you, and Malaysia offers a lot of visas to countries that usually do not get visas like Iran like uh, Syria, etc. So you have a huge diverse population. In Kuala Lumpur, you don't notice it so much, like as in this tension, personally, from my point of view, obviously you would know, you would notice it way more than I would, uh, which is quite cool. But it's interesting that you say that the government obviously favors Malays, right? Who are the, lo the well, locals, the, the nationality? Is that what you would say? It's a, it's a racial group, yeah. Racial group. Mm -hmm. So you'd say that people struggle the most with kind of accepting that they're, I mean, obviously it's not, you could argue that it's not fair, but they probably can't do anything about it. So you'd say that what people struggle with most is dealing with this unfair government and lack of, you know, salary, decent salary, and obviously wealth inequality. Is that what you would say? I mean, it's incredibly complex and I don't know how much you want to dive into, <laughs> into this topic, but um, just you know, to give you a little bit of information. So I am of Malay descent, right? And according to the constitution, I um, I enjoy more um, financial benefits being a Malay. You know, I get access to a special fund management that gives a very consistent six, seven, eight percent return on investment mm, per year. I get like 10% discount for property purchase. That's a lot. Right. Yeah, that's a lot. I recognize that this is a privilege, but the fact is that it's the the we call it um, the bottom forty percent of the population economically. Uh, they are comprised majority of the Malay population. So if you have a lot of this kind of like government help, uh, structural help for for this population, then why are they still? economically ah, interesting. poor. So a lot of things are happening. And I understand that, you know, before this line of work, I was working in 
NGO background, right? I was in, I was working in a refugee organization. I was working with a women's human rights group, and I'm very much aware of there's an intersection between economics and personal liberty. So there's yeah. a lot of intersection there. So um, I can't exactly. That's I mean, you know, you can't give like a simple solution. Oh, this needs to happen for you know the country to. It's a it's a combination of a lot of things. So anyway, this is kind of like my way. So there's a lot of guilt for me as well when it comes mm. to this thing. Like I understand that I am I have a lot of advantages, and I can um, I can make use of disadvantages to make my financial future better and then there's like even between the malays which which is about 50 55% of the population there's a huge divide between urban malays and rural malays and you know it is the way that it is and i think that part of the reason why i'm doing the whole personal finance blogging thing is to give at least one view of how i navigate this 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 area while also dealing with like the guilt side of it while dealing with the privilege side of it while exploring the the intersections that we talked about um with the added layer of me being a woman uh with the added layer of um uh, me being well when I started I was in, in my you know early 20s so me being a youth so up until this kind of like personal finance blogging space in Malaysia only kind of took off in the last few years. Before that, it was primarily dominated by middle-aged um, men, <laughs> middle-aged men and above. So stock pickers, like people who yeah, assess yeah. stock. Yeah. yeah, them and gurus and all of this. Mm-hmm. I mean, like no, no, no shade to them. They they're doing good, and at least there's some sort of like figure and authority to to help people. But it's also been Oh, that's, there's also been like some abuse there, but let's not go there. But I think that uh, the personal finance space right now is getting a lot more diversity from uh, from people who, again, like from my age group, from my from my from my background, who's also talking about the added the added layers that's usually not talked about. I mean, like personal finance is not just the numbers, right? It's also like the behavior and also the the lived experiences. And I think that's one of the reasons why uh, my my work, my content was uh, has been received well by by some Malaysians. Yeah, your content. I you have tons of followers and and interactions. It's really it's really quite um quite inspiring. And just just before we we start talking about that, I'm curious to hear in the in the four years that you've been blogging, do you feel that financial awareness has increased or? Do you feel that the Malay uh, government is doing something to increase, to improve financial literacy? I don't know. It'd be interesting to hear if if they're putting it as a priority. Because this new 2020, not 2020, the the budget that they release every year, for me, that's a huge, like, amazing initiative. I mean, and the EPF. So I had to write a bit about this. Mm. EPF is like a retirement scheme and the PRS. These are great things that... I'm sad to say in Spain, we don't have that, you know, uh, we have a different version, but I feel like the Malaysian government is going in the right direction. Although I know there's a lot of corruption stories and everything. Would you feel that's true? And, and what are the kind of like initiatives that are working uh, for the Malaysian government? There's definitely a lot of push for personal finance, uh, for financial literacy recently. Um, earlier this year, around mid-year mid in quarter three or something, 
they came up with something called Financial Education Network, where uh, financial institutions, not from the private sector, was it the private sector? But like, you know, like the uh, Bank Negara Malaysia, which is our central bank, and uh, Securities Commission, the one that, that uh, well, the financial bodies um, locally, they kind of joined forces and said that, hey, this is what we're going to do to increase financial literacy. So that's amazing. Um, the problem with, with financial education so far is not the fact that we don't have enough information. There are a lot. And, you know, we, we can't just say that, oh, you know, they're not doing enough because there's even like bookstores. People can always go to bookstores, right? What I would say is different, though, is um, how personal finance is being packaged. So before this, it's kind of seen as this, like, not elite per se, but the language wasn't accessible, Right. So it's like it's stocks jargon language or like it's um, it's like it's businessy language. And it's it, it has unfortunately deterred a lot of people from being more involved with the literature side of things. So I mean, people interested in money, people has always been interested in money. But I think the difference is now um, we are seeing more and more literature that's a lot more suitable for the internet age for um it's as simple as that it's a, you can also make the case with like um at every other subject out there right so there are other technical blogs let's say like a coding website right and coding is so hard uh, i've tried coding and i you know i i find it hard and i know that there are platforms that try to make it like more accessible and easier for yeah. you to learn so it's kind of the same thing that's happening with finance here yeah that's so true. And honestly, it's not just Malaysia that has this issue. Mm-hmm. Every single yeah. country from the US to the UK to any country in Europe uh, using these weird words and then everyone and then, you know, these institutions take advantage of people because people don't understand what an APR is. Turns out an APR can cost you a lot of money. <laughs> and that's what financial education is all about. So, but I, I was at the fintech conference from the SEC. Uh, I didn't catch you there because I was feeling pretty sick, but I was really impressed, actually. And I know you were on a panel, which was very cool. The SEC organized this fintech two-day fintech conference, and it was it was really cool. I really enjoyed it. And they flew in these two Americans. <laughs> it was so funny to see them from Betterment <laughs> and uh, from Acorns. And I, I just saw it, thought it was so funny to see them in. I was asking them, I asked them a few questions like, what do you, because I'm interested to hear what their opportunities were in Malaysia. I didn't expect, you know, Betterment Acorns to be like expanding to Malaysia. It turns out they weren't expanding to Malaysia. They were just looking to, I guess, increase awareness of this new community that they're building. And yeah, it was just funny because I didn't expect to see uh, two, two American fintech startups there. And it was really, really nice to see. And that's why I'm asking this question because... I'm quite impressed that the SEC is is making an effort. They're opening the doors. That's what they're saying to the world, right? And saying, look, come in, talk to us about fintech, talk to us about financial education. Um, so I was really impressed. And uh, I don't think we really do that here. You know, <laughs> in the, I'm right now I'm in the UK. We don't really have the regulators organizing conferences. No, it's usually, you know, a big, big community or something, but it's not the regulators. So that's why I was quite, I was quite impressed. Yeah, I was impressed too. <laughs> That's good. Let's uh, go back on to more your, your personal story. So you got started in about four years ago. And what really got, got you um, interested in, in personal finance and managing money and your blog? Yes, the people ask me this question all the time, but honestly, yeah. I've always been obsessed with money. <laughs> uh, I can't really <laughs> pinpoint an exact 
time when I was really like, oh, wow, this is like interesting. I've always thought it was basically fun. I remember the first time I, I tracked my expenses when I was around like 17 years old. But even before then, I was already kind of like, you know, putting my, my savings away. And a lot of this, you know, I really have to credit my parents here, right? Because they gave those habits to me. They encouraged it. I'm lucky enough to be raised in a household where education is, uh, you know, they put a lot of emphasis on my education. So they really instilled that sense of love and learning. And if it wasn't for, I think that they gave me um, a really good foundation in terms of like, I could pretty much explore whatever it is that I find interesting or curious about. And then went on, and it just so happened that I find personal finance just really, really fascinating. So just got into it just like that. But again, like the intersection that like you can't really run away from personal finance, can you? You know, like throughout my college life or even my early, the early stages of my working life, I've always been sharing my personal finance journey, so to speak. But because of like the so-called like taboo aspect of it, I was sharing them anonymously. Um, I was on Tumblr for a bit. I was on, on Blogger, I think, for a bit. And then... About four years ago, I decided to to earn some money on the side from freelance writing. And I thought, oh, you know what? Let's put some of my articles about personal finance on a website and that can be my book portfolio. Somehow it grew from there. It literally grew from there. So it wasn't expected, but I started it out of um, practical reasons. I just wanted to put my work portfolio out there, but continued because of the demand and support from readers. Wow, that's really cool. I think it's quite rare that someone starts a personal finance blog with the intention of it to, you know, further their career. Uh, so most people, I guess, in our space here, F uh, financial independence in Europe, most people start the blogs <laughs> either to, I don't know, keep track of their journey, which you also do, I, I know, but also uh, with the intention of making it into a business or, you know, making money from the blog. But you are doing it more to then go to into freelance writing. Uh, yes, as correct. a portfolio. And it's fascinating because it's exactly what happened to me. Mm. Uh, but I I didn't do it with the intention. So I started my blog to educate myself. So I would read a lot of books. I, I knew nothing at the age of 18 about money. No one ever taught me really anything. So I read a lot of books and then I would write articles about it, which was a great way to understand the topic. You know, I have articles like WTF are taxes or what is property investing or how to get started. And I used, as you said, accessible language and then eventually became a resource for other people but it never really took off and that's fine it was more i have like 100 articles on there and eventually it turned out it was much more useful as a portfolio uh and that's how i now i'm also a freelance writer uh and my blog is kind of what helped me get there so it's quite interesting to see that yours also was very useful as a portfolio but also eventually i guess as a as an online business which is really cool how has it affected your like money management? Do you feel that you're more careful or more accountable or do you think it's a good way to hone your money management skills by starting a blog? Uh, not really, no. It's interesting because, <laughs> um, no, no, I mean, I've always been, a, I've always, again, like, I've always written about personal finance. The main difference is that I started sharing them publicly as part of my work portfolio, right? And uh, it, when I first started it, it was also when I was still looking for for full-time jobs during that time when I started it. Uh, it was meant to be this temporary thing. And then suddenly, like, um, 
I think that uh, you know it, it it's honestly it's pure luck. So I was at the right time at the right place, and I started getting hired uh, for writing work, not just for personal finance but also for for business writing, which is my my background. And I I would say that the main difference during the time is also when you're employed, you are in something that I call like in the in the saving money mode. So you have a set amount of money that you save per month. You have a salary, so you feel safe. You can choose to have, you know, second income to 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 increase your disposable income, but because you know you're tired and you're you're stressed and you just you're so defensive of your own free time that you don't. So I was more in the saving money mode. And then when I started freelancing and, and chose to stay self-employed, I was in all-out like earning money mode. So I think that was the biggest switch throughout this whole process. There's, I, I guess, almost like a fear, like I should take advantage of this as as much as I can, just in case the opportunities the opportunities dry up. So I've been in, in the four years. I've really been pushing myself to 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 try my best to take any and all opportunities. That I could sometimes that leads to like really bad consequences. Like I was burned out like two years ago. Uh, money was good, but I was burned out. Um, <laughs> but right now, I think that I mean I'm only four years in, so I'm still trying to find the balance between yeah. um, doing what's right for my career and also finding that balance. Uh, nowadays, at least I take the weekends off, which is oh, okay. something. Yeah, yeah, which is something quite, which is something quite nice. But I never used to. I used to work weekends, and that was normal. So finding that that balance, I think, would be the biggest difference. That's cool, and and you still get to publish two articles a week, right? Which is pretty pretty heavy going, right? Still two a week. Yeah, I I do challenge myself to publish two articles per week. There's more personal finance content creators right now, so I'm actually thinking of increasing my output uh, for for next year. Uh, I I make tick. <laughs> I say too much too soon. Uh, <laughs> I, I deserve the right to change my mind, but <laughs> uh, I feel like it. Okay, that's. I mean, makes sense. I'm curious to hear what has been the feedback. I mean, I, from what I see, like on Facebook and on Twitter and on your blog, you have a lot of interaction, a lot of feedback, and I love how you do these. Um, not the roundups, the the ones where you ask uh the public. Like question, you asked Malaysians. Ask Malaysians, I think it's called. I can't remember. Or oh, like the mini forums. Yeah, yeah, mini forum. That's it. Uh, and you kind of get feedback and stuff. And and uh, it's very actually, I'm quite interested. And I I read kind of what um the the answers are because that's kind of a bit of of what the population is like, how it's acting. So how has the overall feedback been? And do you feel people are are really taking a lot from from this advice since there's nowhere else to get it? Oh, I mean, I uh, it, it's really strange because, like, on yes, I'm aware that people read my content, but I still have like this detachment thing. Uh, my in real life, I'm, I'm, you know, I don't go out that much. So whenever I do go out and meet people like face to face, and they tell me, oh, you know, I follow you or like I read your stuff, and yeah, it's a, it's a mixture of like embarrassment and. You know, I, I just want to hide, but it's also like it's a lot of pride as well. It's like, mm-hmm. oh wow, like thanks, thanks so much. I mean, yeah. I know the numbers, I know the statistics. Um, I, I see, you know, the 
I, I, I look at my Google Analytics, right? But it's another thing when somebody actually tells you to your face. When it comes to those interactions, um, oh my God, I'm I'm in love. I'm in love with them. I love that. It's such an empowering space. This is the type of community that I wish um, I, I grew up with when I first started out. Um, a lot of the personal finance content out there, they are very much top down. You know, they give you advice. Yeah. Right? Instead of um, as uh, asking you, oh, what would you do in that kind of situation? Mm-hmm. Or like, this is one way of managing it. Did you do you do it differently, or how do you do it differently, and why? So, um, I'm I'm very proud of the fact that I've built up this community where we welcome. It's a two way interaction instead of like a instead of like a top down approach, which is what honestly what Malaysians are very very used to. I agree. I think it's a good way to interact with readers or with listeners is to make it two ways and not top down. And I've heard this before, you know, that in Malaysia. So if you listen to the radio uh, in Malaysia, it's quite a bit like what you're saying. You know, it's top down advice. And (laughs) I would always laugh whenever I took a grab, which is like an Uber in Malaysia. I would take a grab and they would have the radio on. And the advice on there was stuff like, if you're stressed, wake up in the morning and make a quick to-do list of five things you need to do for that day. Like really personal development (laughs) advice from the 1960s kind of stuff. And I was like, what? I (laughs) agree, so you understand. You can't really do much there. But, you know, in in on on Facebook, then you really have no excuse. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, that's um, that's interesting. But do you think that it's obviously working, right? And do you I feel so. that? <laughs> well, from what I see, I think it's definitely working. Your your approach, which is more, you know, it's not I'm your teacher. It's I'm your companion. Ooh. I'm going on the same Ooh. road or same path as you. Let's figure it out together. That's kind of your yes. approach, right? Yeah. Uh, do you think that this should be more, you know, more, maybe, I don't know, the, the government should take this approach more? I mean, obviously it's working. So I'm asking, do you think it'd be useful if other institutions took that approach? Mm. And, and would Malays or citizens would be more open to mm. listening if people talk to them like that? I don't want to tell others how they should run their work. Uh, part of it is that I don't know. I don't want to have like this superiority complex, right? Yeah. I think that there's an audience for any approach. There's even an audience for the tough love approach, right? Mm. So um, the the government can can do their role in in uh, taking on whatever entity that they have decided they the ones that they can run, run with their own resources. And I'm just one part of the system that's overall working together for the same goal. I mean, at the end of the day, we all want the same things. And we, you know, I love this country and I want the, the you know, uh, my fellow citizens to be at a better financial state. There are many, there are many ways to, to achieve the same thing. And maybe this is the one that, that works for me, but maybe it's, it can be replicable by, by other parties, but maybe it can't. So I think that power be to the audience for them to choose which one will work for them. This is also the same reason why you go to the bookstore and that you go to the self-help section and you pick a book from a particular author because you like that that author's style of delivery. So picking a style of delivery that that you like will will have more, you know, impact than telling others like this is how you should yeah. do your approach. Yeah, that makes sense. And I remember reading somewhere one of your articles where you're saying you're you're sick of um, like advice being you know save 
save, 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 when really what's missing is just an increase in income, you know, and sometimes you just can't save more. And and I remember when I had to research, I was writing articles for fintechs and I had to write this kind of stuff. And I was seeing it too. A lot of the advice is, you know, oh, but you can't go out. You can't have coffee or eat in or, you know, and already everything is so cheap here. You can't have any more joy in life. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And every, the, yeah. the salaries are already pretty low and things are already pretty cheap. Um, so it's quite hard to cut. And yeah, so instead of saying that, and I agree with what you wrote in your article, Instead of doing that, maybe increase the minimum wage or um, offer better working opportunities, I guess. Definitely. Do you feel that's affected the mentality of the citizens or, or because they're all like, oh, no, we have to save, but we can't, but we don't have any joy or you feel it's, it's quite widespread? Again, like this kind of things, it, it has to be like a two part thing. So while we do our our activism and our uh, demanding the government and the private sector to increase job quality and also job quantity. Right. Uh, at the same time, we also cannot be stuck in this victim mentality where like, oh, woe is me. There's no opportunities here. I'm stuck in this position forever. So it has to be both sides. We also cannot ignore the fact that marketing strategies are so powerful. And if, if you, you work in the online space and you work in fintech and you know the type of things that, that happen that you know encourages a person to to make a purchase right uh so this kind of things like malaysians are already like one of the most actively engaged social media users in the world and coupled with this with everything else that's happening <sighs> on one hand yeah let's let's be less save more money um even though you you're already like scraping every single cent, uh, but at the same time, perhaps there is value in understanding what are the um, sales attacks that people are subjected to on a daily basis, um, on even on an hourly basis. Um, there's a lot of that happening here. So there's a it's a lot of things. It's honestly it's not like a one type of solution kind of thing. It's it's everything at once. So. Yeah, no, that definitely makes sense. Okay, and, and moving on to Ring It or Ring It, obviously this is kind of like a platform now. What is your, are you dreaming of making it something, you've got book, which is really cool, Money Stories 1, and you have a volume 2 coming out soon, right? Yes, I do. Is it the process? Very exciting. Yeah. And so is your plan for, well, I don't know if you have a plan, but would you like, you know, Ring It or Ring It to eventually become some kind of big community uh, with tons of different resources, you know, eventually like a podcast, a book, a blog, and, and kind of a lot of content, maybe eventually like an NGO or something. I don't know. I'm, I'm even dreaming myself here. But <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> what no, are it's your funny that you brought it up because one of my dreams is to, to have my own NGO. That was a dream of mine when I was younger. I still have that dream, but also a part of me is kind of like, so yeah, do you really want to run an NGO? Is that like your superiority complex? So I, I, I don't know yet. I'm completely fine with the, you know, doing the 
I, I have this like mental barrier. It's like, do I want to expand or I do want to keep it as it is? Uh, I, I love my privacy. So I, I don't particularly want to be more popular or whatever. But I, I do want to see where, what kind of opportunities. A lot of the work that I do right now, uh, people approaching me, like you approaching me and say, oh, hey, we're doing this. So, so let's do that. And I'm like, oh, hey, yeah, yeah, let's do it. So I love collaborations and um, I hope to, to, to reach out more and do more collaborations in the future. Things I've done in the past, you know, it's been quite varied and I love that flexibility. It, it fulfills me like nothing else. So I think like last year, uh, a friend of mine was like, oh, Suraya, let's let's produce a theatre show together. And I'm like, hell yeah, let's produce a theatre show together. So we did that. Um, and yesterday, a friend of mine came over and we recorded the Ringgit or Ringgit podcast. So that's that too. I just... I, you know, uh, I just want to keep my options open. I, I'm getting invited to more kind of like um, interviews and panel discussions, and that's amazing. So that's so exciting. Yeah, yeah, it is, it is. Um, so I have um, I, I invested some money into hiring a vocal and speech coach. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, like all of these are, it, it, it's fulfilling me in a very like self development kind of way, and then recording everything in a journey with the readers on the platform it's fun i am i'm having a lot of fun it, it really sounds like fun and i i i read one of your articles where you were invited to like a proper institution i can't remember which one it was uh and you got to speak with like the head of oh uh, it, it was the guys who control like the head of some big institution and the they they managed sorry the insurance one yeah maybe that that's the one uh, and and I remember reading something along the lines of um, they they only become useful in in times of crisis. That they're the kind of people who manage crisis. Ah, right, that one, right. Uh, they're called PIDM. And PIDM, uh, yes, you're right. Yeah, their role is to again they are only useful if there's a financial crisis, <laughs> but their job is to prevent one. So many Malaysians yeah. don't know about them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 No, yeah. but that's really cool, right? So you see, I think what's happening here is these big institutions are seeing that they have an opportunity to reach the younger population through you. Uh, and so they're starting to invite you to all these really cool events and, and, and talk to the people because they, you know, they realize that sometimes it's it's people are more willing to listen to someone who's like them than a big institution or a big bank. So it's it's really cool to see that it's working. And I completely agree that opportunities like that are the are the best and i find it also anyone who produces content so this could be writing podcast anything when you're a producer of content suddenly opportunities start coming to you like oh things happen God, to yes. you people come to you and i've noticed it also and it's it's really uh empowering and and also like it increases your confidence a lot uh not not in a superficial way it means like okay wow people are actually interested in what i'm doing maybe I can continue, maybe I can make a living out of this. And it's very, it's quite life-changing. So I, I completely understand what you mean. And and it's really cool that you're doing this. And I, I urge you to keep going. And obviously this is what fulfills you. So, you know, the more, the more locals you're able to help, I think it's a force for good, for sure. And eventually maybe an NGO, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. I hope cool. so. Yeah, I also get this. I mean, that there's also like a that, that's another side of it. Being invited to all these things are, are great, uh, but again, like I usually I I I'm not the most social person, um, and I'm very much aware that for many of them, it's a PR opportunity. Like they want 
to to approach me because like they want me to say nice things about about their companies and uh if that aligns yeah great but if it doesn't um it then it it puts me in a very sticky situation so i'm i'm trying my best i think like this will be more of, of an issue into next year i i believe since more um uh, private uh companies you know like financial institutions like fund management companies for example they want to look more into like content marketing and all of this like influencer marketing and KOL and all of that it's a it's very interesting position to be in and i i'm trying my best to not like you know let it go to my head i'm i'm really 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 trying well i mean it's 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 not it's fine if it goes to i mean <laughs> i know what you mean but uh, <laughs> yeah i i think what you're trying to do is to do this cleverly right you don't want to get overconfident and you don't want to uh don't want to miss out either so it's a balance uh but i think anyone who is brave enough to put themselves out there which is any blogger any podcaster anyone who produces content that's something everyone has to deal with when you put your voice out there uh it's it's a difficult place to put yourself in um so i completely understand Cool. Well, we're reaching the end of our episode. I have a few final questions for you if uh, you're ready for our audience. Our first question is where can people find you online? I'm most active on Facebook on the Ringgit or Ringgit mm-hmm. Facebook page. Uh that's facebook.com/ringgitorringgit and on Twitter as well. I'm a huge sucker for Twitter. Uh, so much yeah, drama going on. <laughs> yeah, it's so, so entertaining. <laughs> it is, it is. Um, I'm also on Instagram, but mm-hmm. uh, not the most visual of person. So maybe, maybe those two platforms primarily. Sweet. Um, and your website? Singitorinkit.com. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll put those in the show notes. Number two, what is one resource not well known that you'd recommend to others? Something to do, I guess, with personal finance. It could be a blog a podcast something that you that's really helped you on your on your journey uh personally speaking um this is super well known but reddit community is amazing um especially oh, if is. you're exploring yeah. personal finance from a very behavioral behavioral uh, perspective so mm-hmm. obviously there are personal finance communities there but i was also sucked into the whole like minimalism um subreddit mm. and the entrepreneur subreddit and the solopreneur subreddit and the social media marketing subreddit and the bloggers subreddit um and even you know the 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 fun ones like choosing beggars subreddit where you know pe- people who feel entitled to ask people for like you know their stuff um so it's a uh, it it personal finance is about knowing yourself but and also knowing the behavior of others so by exposing myself to as many points of views as possible and there's no better place i would say than than reddit you kind of know kind of have a better understanding of like ah okay so that issue comes up for this particular person what would i do if i come across that that particular situation it makes you think so i love it for that reason That's very cool. And what and what's great about Reddit is that you can also ask questions. So, yeah. um, you know, we we experience this a lot in FI Europe. Every country has different laws, different, you know, opportunities and and a lot of different factors when it comes to finance. So, sometimes we can't really answer all the questions and the great thing about Reddit, you can go to FI UK or FI France or FI Germany and there you write your question, you get specific advice. So, It's also really great for that. It's a two-way. It is. Really yeah. really helpful two-way thing. 
Okay, and our last question, I'm going to amend it a little bit. Uh, what is your number one actionable tip for someone to get started on their path to personal finance? I mean, FI, financial independence is kind of a similar topic. Uh, we usually say financial independence, but someone who's interested in getting started in, in managing their money effectively. Uh, I don't want to give like all the generic <laughs> answer. Uh, like, uh, but you have to budget and like you have to put like 20% away. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't want to give that. So in addition to those, yeah. I would say something like, I find that taking personality quizzes really helped. Really? Yes. Uh, let me tell you why. Um, a big part of Again, a big part of personal finance is personal, right? So it's how you yep. behave in certain situations. And you are not this rational person all the time. We get stressed, we get sick. Uh, at some point, we get weak with like marketing messages and things like that. So a very simple example, like even you knowing something as basic as like, are you an introvert as opposed to an extrovert? Yes, I know most people are ambiverts, but you know, um, which part do you lean towards? So if you know that you are you are an extrovert, for example, you might want to budget in um, uh, social activities so that life is not joyless for you and you can make your journey a little bit more fun because you already budgeted that in and you're not guilty about going out spending money with your mates, right? For me, it's like I, I'm more of an introvert and I truly value being, you know, having my own space. So I have budgeted it in, in Malaysia. It's very, it's very, very common for you to live uh, with your parents until you get married. But I have lived outside of, you know, I've moved out ever since I was 18 and I maintain a rental unit. So I put a lot of weight to my ability to uh, pay my rent every month. For me, that is you know, non-negotiable, I need that for my sanity kind of expense. So take those personality quizzes and try and see how your budget fits your personality. Instead of, most people try and make their budget fit. How is it? Like you make your budget, they make, your <laughs> life, they make their life fit their budget instead of the other way around, right? Yeah, yeah. Wow, I have never heard that too before and I love it. I think it's so true. There's a lot of guilt I think in, especially in the financial independence world, people make you feel guilty for not, you know, for not saving more or for spending exactly. on that coffee or yeah. for spending money on social activities. And I completely agree with you. And there's one thing that for me is non-negotiable is going out with, with friends. And I will, if, I, if someone says, do you want to go for drinks? I will never in my mind say, oh no, I'm trying to save money. I'm not going to go for drinks. No, mm. like mm. there is a limit. Obviously I'm not going to spend a ton. Yeah. Yeah. But it's okay to go for a drink. Like no one's, yeah. oh, I just, so there's a lot of this guilt, you know, that, yeah. that works in the FI world. And I completely agree with you. Mm. I think sometimes you just, you know, this is who I am and this is how I spend mm. my money and relax. Yeah. As long as you're conscious yeah. and you you have the, um, do things mindfully, right? So mm. is the right word, mindfully, yeah. then you're fine. Exactly. So I completely so, agree. But in addition to that, yeah, do do, do your budget, do, do your expense tracking and and all of that. It's just, mm, yeah. <laughs> in addition to that, take your, take your personality quiz. That's awesome. I really love that tip. Okay, <laughs> Shiraya, thank you so much for taking the time to be on this podcast episode today. And uh, yeah, hopefully see you next time I'm in Kuala Lumpur. I very much look forward to seeing you. Please do give, give me a buzz when you're in town. Hey Matthias, do you think they're in a financial independence Facebook groups yet? 
yes, there's definitely a shortage in financial independence Facebook groups. That's why we want to create another one. And the real reason is that we want to get some feedback on our episodes to have a conversation with our listeners, um, to follow on the topics. And you might also have some questions around our content. Gotcha. And also, we've been talking with more of you guys at meetups, on Reddit, in Facebook groups, the Fire Europe retreat, obviously, we organized. And this is, in the end, the main reason why we started the whole podcast project to talk to guys like you, uh, learn more from you, case studies, answer questions, and like hopefully all grow and learn from that together in the end and become stronger, smarter, and hopefully also richer people. So, you know, Matthias, say I'm interested in this. Where do I find this Facebook group? Yeah, just go to your Facebook app and type in FI Europe podcast or just click in our show notes. There's a link for the Facebook group or go to our website. There's also a link. So yeah, just type in FI Europe podcast. See you in the group. Thank you guys for listening to this episode. We hope you learned something new and enjoyed the show. You can support us by doing this. Subscribing to your favorite podcast program and leaving us a review. Following us on Instagram and Twitter at Financial Independence Europe. Sending us an email with questions and feedback. We would love to hear from you. All the mentioned articles, books and cool resources can be found in the show notes at financial-independence.eu. Thank you for listening and see you next time.